What's up, people? Welcome back to Noise Advocation Podcast. I am your host, Ryan, here as always with Jeremy. How is everybody doing? Um, social media stuff, Instagram for the podcast at Noise Advocation, Facebook for the podcast at Noise Advocation Podcast. Um, you can find me at Soundwave Slave on Instagram, and we have an email that you can sending questions and shit to you and a twitter that we never use i also have decided to uh catch up with the world and you can find me at jeremy jacobs 42 i think it's 46 46 something Is it 42? i'm gonna change it but yeah <laughs> you can find jeremy in the episode description yeah you can find me in the description and you'll recognize my cartoon face oh yeah yeah from the podcast logo yes so um, hopefully everybody enjoyed the episode last week with our interview with Tristan. Um, yeah. We will have our next interview coming up next week with the band Illmatic. Uh, we did play one of their singles on was it episode 27 that we did it on. Yep. Yeah. Or, yeah, because we're on 29, right? Yep. Yep. So it would have been 27. They start to blend together Fucking a little bit after a while. Band. Everybody out there needs to fucking listen to next week's episode. Yeah, we'll be uh, previewing one of the unreleased tracks off the album. World premiering. And then uh, the album does come out February 24th. And uh, we'll, uh, sorry, we will have links and stuff in the episode description to pre-order where you can get it, how to pick it up. They do have uh, CDs and shirts and some other shit, too. So definitely go check that out and help support them. Um, getting into some news stuff. Uh, recently, Tom Verlaine of television passed away, unfortunately. Uh, 73 years old, I believe. Yep, 73. Which is ironic because the band was formed in 1973. Yeah, it's pretty weird, I guess. Uh, if you're not familiar with television, they were... Sort of one of the pioneering punk bands back in the CBGB era. Uh, they were one of the first bands to have a regular bill where they were playing at CBGBs pretty much every weekend from the get-go. And definitely had a sort of unique sound compared to a lot of the other bands at the time. Yeah, it's but, like art punk. Yeah, kind of, but with less pompous assholeness to right. it. Right. No, they definitely, like... That's what I always thought was weird about television is they're a punk rock band in my mind, like 100%, but they just don't sound like the fucking Sex Pistols or Blondie or the Ramones, you know what I mean? Yeah, but punk's an attitude, exactly. not a sound. So. Uh, I really, like, his vocal style was great, but I, if you're not a fan, I can totally see how you're not a fan because right. it is kind of whiny and a weird-sounding voice. But, I don't know, they piece it together really well. He had a, a lot of cool different lead and rhythm guitar riffs that him and the other guitar player kind of bounced around each other with. So, it, But they only released two records uh, throughout their career, but they did tour pretty regularly throughout uh, all the, like, the mid-2000s, 2010 and later. And Oh, I didn't realize they were touring up until then. Yep. They, but they cool. were just playing Marky Moon and, oh, okay. like in its entirety. That's what I was going to say for everybody out there. To If you're going to check something out, that's the one to 
Yeah, definitely go with their first record over their second record. Um, what's the second one? Adventure. Adventure. Yeah, the that record's a little more mellow, and doesn't it does give the television sound, but I think Marky Moon definitely encapsulates their sound better Definitely. than what it was because yep. the the following was more mellow it was kind of more laid back uh it had a little more harmony to it yeah it's uh it's, marquee moons the sound that they're known for that they would have been playing when they were fucking at cbg yeah, playing every week or whatever and they were playing max's kansas city and you know all the pretty much any venue that was playing their style of music in new york at the time which CBGVs and Max's was the two main, but I'm sure there were some random bars and shit that they oh, were playing at that we don't know about. Definitely. <clears throat> uh, in other news, Ozzy fucking decided to stop touring. Again. Again. Because um, there's been how many Black Sabbath end tours? Uh, three, I, I, I think. I, like three, three official, official ones. ones. Okay. But, um... He yeah. looks rough, though, man. Yeah, we were talking before we started recording, and, yeah, looking at pictures of him, dude, he's rough. Real rough. The article said that, like, after he had, because he had an injury on his spine, I think, a few years back is what it was. Um, But it said after, like, stem cell replacement uh-huh. and all the surgeries that he's had and everything else that his body's just not in touring shape like he's able to get on a stage and do something but as far as traveling city to city country to country 74 years old yeah i mean like most 74 year olds can't even go past like fucking two in the afternoon without taking a nap well it says uh it's four years ago that accident happened but he never really said anything to the public apparently um but I don't. He I don't want to. I don't want to be negative, man. But I don't know how much longer this motherfucker's got. Yeah, he look like. Well, I mean, think about what he's put his body Ex- through. Yeah, like, exactly. You have a fifty-plus year career of music. And Not only music, all like. Oh, I was gonna get there. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I was gonna say fifty-plus years of living that rock star life and yeah. doing like pretty much every drug known to man and even things that weren't supposed to be <laughs> drugs like huffing frack tanks yeah, and steel plants and shit like oh yeah we're gonna I don't know up. if you ever read his book but he had that like he worked at like a some steel plant in Birmingham I yeah, believe that's where he liked the drum sound the spah. yeah and he, but he would lean over the tanks and like huff it yeah, all yeah, in yeah, and yeah, try yeah. to get high off it I think it. you told me that or maybe I saw that in a thing where he fucking... I was just laughing to myself thinking about him in um, Decline of Western Civilization, the Metal Years. And he's like boiling water throughout the whole fucking thing. Yeah. And just, you know, oh, I'm not... I'm, I've been clean and sober, fucking blah, blah, blah. And he is just so gacked. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> just boiling water. Anyway. Yeah. I, hopefully, I mean, uh, hopefully he lives quite a long time. I mean, he's literally like the poster child of metal well here's my thing it's like i get you need to i mean they got the rolling stones who are still doing it honestly it's like as far i mean obviously it's a cash grab for real obviously i mean maybe that they still enjoy doing what they do sure 
but I would imagine that the Stones and Ozzy have to enjoy what they do. I mean, it's in their blood. Right. Like, touring and making music has been their thing for how many fucking years? But I'm saying, I'm thinking along the lines of like, Ozzy can't frog. Once you can't frog hop. I mean that isn't you know you cannot you cannot put on the same show that you put on. Yeah. It's kind of he can still do the hand clap thing I that know, he does. But like in your own like in your own mind as the performer, for instance, when we saw Bane's final tour, they Aaron wanted to stop that band because he knew he couldn't put on or put the same energy into every single show or whatever. Right, and that's admirable, you know. Um. I don't know. I just it'd be hard to be to be Ozzy right now, man. Well, it would be hard to like have to admit not only to your millions and millions of fans, right. but even just to yourself. Exactly. That, That's the worst like, part. You're like, oh, this is this is the hang up. Like I have right. to I have to focus on myself and my health and just living out my days being, you know, hopefully he's happy doing whatever the fuck he does right, day to day. Right. Uh but yeah, that would definitely be hard to deal with, like especially since he's been doing it for so long. Like it would be one thing if it's like, oh, Black Sabbath lasted ten years, Ozzy had a couple albums, and then done. done. Yeah. No, I mean, he's been, he's been relevant for fucking ever since like since the late sixties. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And it's been relevant, exactly. It's just crazy. And I just think of what the like the impact of what he's done, really, like. One, with his music, but two, like, Ozfest was huge for the longest oh, time yeah, and brought on, like, so many bands. And uh, literally any metal band ever or even rock band, blues band, whatever, has been somewhat in some way inspired by Black Sabbath. Oh, most definitely. Tony Iommi, Geezer. It's Bill like, Ward. Bill Ward, yeah. It's like all all four of those guys have influenced everything in their own, um, you know. It's crazy that they made craft. that that impact. No, I know, right? Because that's that it's trickled down that yeah, far. That's not easy to have. Fuck no. One, a career that lasts that long, but two, to make that impact on somebody. You hear Iron Man, people click oh, automatically, immediately know. know what it is. And pretty much any Black Sabbath song has its own distinctive sound to it. Yeah, and the way that they, uh, it's been commercialized over the last fucking 50 years, it's like it is everywhere. Yeah, especially since when it came out, nobody wanted it out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They were, they it's the fucking caught a devil. lot of, yeah. I mean, it was hard for them to put their music out in the yeah. way that they were, and they weren't even, like, Satanists or anything. It's not like they were, like, mayhem trying to right, put out, right. you know, they're out here killing people. Like, they're just playing but that's what makes heavy it, music. Is that's, uh, I think, what makes it so cool that when they were literally playing the sounds of their city, of yeah. all that fucking steel mill shit, you know, and, like... Yeah, because where they grew up was all industrial, yeah, everything. Nice. There wasn't really shit there. Um, I mean, it was kind of—it's kind of like here. We're in an no, industry yeah. town. It's and... funny because I don't, 
I hate the fuck. Like, I got to work with steel every day, and I fucking hate that sound, dude, of, like, the yeah. people so dropping think about shit. It, like, it's like, it's, oh, Yeah, because it's loud as hell. It rings through your ears yeah. forever, especially when it's cold outside. Fuck, man, I hate it. So the fact that they took something so loud, noisy, and obnoxious yeah, as inspiration into... and then turned it into that, like, yep. that's cool on its own. But then, like, Tony Iommi almost wasn't able to play anymore found a way to be able to play literally invented drop d tuning because yeah, of his, his fingers. fingers yeah yeah no definitely uh every it's kind of like every every band with a hint of distortions basically gotta like give it up to him you know yeah whether you listen to him or not like that's got to be something that you acknowledge in your music is because the inspiration not, that they put the, out the people that inspir inspire you you were inspired by it and if they weren't the people by them were blah 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 you yep. know for sure yeah it trickles down like you said but hopefully uh but i mean hopefully he lives to 100 maybe he'll beat betty white uh, it doesn't seem like it because he looks fucking haggard. He looks like But uh, we'll see. I. Uh, it does say that he's going to try to find a way to still play live shows without having to travel city to city. So maybe you'll see some virtual Aussie concerts. Uh, but, but, I mean, like, to me, like, just hang it up, see. dude. Like, just enjoy the rest of your life. Like, you've made your impact okay. on music. Uh -huh. You've done everything and more that you could ever want to yeah. do. And I don't want to see him, like, overexert himself and fall and die you know, on I don't stage think or something. any but... fan would disagree with that. No. Cause... I think it's just, it's on Ozzy. Like, it's on him to be like, fuck, I gotta stop. Yeah, and it's probably hard for him to do. Fuck and I'm yeah. sure he's got fucking label influence that's like oh you should crank out another record because patient number nine did this amount of sales yeah. and whatever side note uh some people love that album i cannot fucking stand it I, to me like it's just too fucking if i'm gonna listen to ozzy like i just go back into his catalog exactly. and i think we said this before like listen to speak of the devil or yeah, yeah, blizzard yeah, yeah. of oz or Definitely. you know like I'd rather hear that again than the computer programmed ro robot Ozzy. Yeah, that's what that's what kills it for me. Terminator Ozzy. Terminator, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terminator. But uh someone else that passed he's a, away. He's a T six six six. T six six six, yeah. Um moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyways, another Death that happened recently. I hate that all of our news is deaths all year so far. Well, you know, and I also, that crossed my mind. It's like everybody that I grew up with that would have been on FM radio, them motherfuckers are dropping like flies right now. Yeah, because they're all in their late 70s, yep. 80s. Some of them are 90 and above. And it's it, it it's kind of strange, man, like. It just makes me wonder where music's going to be at in another 50 years, you know? Because really, recorded music's only 100 years old, 120 years old. Yeah. It's weird. And there's not, like, as many icons being made now. Ex yeah, exactly. Like, I think Snoop Dogg will definitely 
he already is an icon, but I think he'll be one of those guys. He'll that's be remembered like, for a long he's time. He's like 80, still trying to put out shit. Definitely. Trying to crip walk in a walker. Yeah, he'll um, be like, yeah, he'll be fucking doing comedy until he's fucking dead. Yeah. Definitely. But anyways, uh, Barrett Strong, who if any of you are unfamiliar with, uh, was Motown's basically first artist. Um, or, I don't know if he was the exact first, but he released the first single. Uh, the song Money, That's What I Want, yeah. was originally written by Barry Gordy, but Barrett Strong recorded it and put it out. And then there's some controversy involving that that you can read into for yourself where Barry kind of screwed him on publishing rights. And that happened quite a bit that throughout fucking, his career, yeah. actually, really. And one thing, like his debt, like not only was his career overshadowed because he put out... So he wrote, I heard it through the grapevine for Marvin Gaye. Yep. He wrote War for Edwin Starr. Um, Papa was a Rolling Stone for The Temptations. Yep. Uh, just My Imagination. And like it just a, a ton of the huge Motown singles <laughs> that you could think of. Like he had a hand in writing. Think about how big money is what I want. Yeah. It's like now still being fucking used in yeah, shit. They use it in commercials exactly. and shit. Exactly. But I don't know that he was getting royalties from it anymore. I doubt which it. Which is fucked up because he... Wrote it? Wrote it. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. And there was another guy, Norman Whitfield, who he wrote quite a bit of stuff with that collaborated on him with a lot of the songs that I just named. And they both had their own publishing credits, but eventually they were ripped from them uh, Motown like stripped their name off of the stuff and was claiming that it was a clerical error that they were on there in the first place and all this other shit. So that's fucked up. And then like his death, like I noticed, I talked to you about this, how yeah. Motown's Instagram didn't even post anything about Barrett Strong's death, which I thought was pretty fucked up. Considering, no, it's like, a like real fucked up. If it wasn't for him, Motown wouldn't even be fucking Motown as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he like, put the flight into trajectory like he didn't you know he kicked it off like he was the fucking coin toss at yep. the beginning of the game of motown yep and not to say that barry gordy didn't do a lot and whatever but i mean he kicked out the first single and then the started the movement of barry wanting to make singles that it's, way well barry needed him and he needed barry at that time and you know that's what they say timing's fucking everything but it's yeah, just, it's sad. I, uh, I messaged the Motown Instagram, like I told you, and was like, man, you guys really aren't going to say anything about fucking Barrett Strong. That's fucked up. It is. And then... Uh, no response. They never responded, obviously. <laughs> They're probably like, who? <laughs> Whoever runs the fucking Instagram account at this point is somebody so far removed from the label's original roots that they're just being paid to put out whatever their new artists are and right. stuff. But yeah, he was 81 years old, um, passed away, I believe in California it was, San Diego, if I remember reading that correctly. And I don't remember what the cause of death was, though. Um, All it says is... Um, if he had cancer or anything like that, I don't know. I didn't really read it anywhere, it didn't say. No, it just says he's dead. So died of natural causes, That's, that's what I would think. Yeah, it, that sucks, because, I mean, he was a 
he's literally in the songwriters hall of fame yeah like, he's any... one of the greatest songwriters of all time yeah they said he um him and uh winfield were put in in 2004 yeah which is uh, pretty cool and his buddy which should have been died. way earlier but you know is what it is that's the way the music world yep. works people don't appreciate you till you're gone um, I was reading this morning this thing. This is unrelated, but I thought it was cool. So Max Roach, the jazz drummer, yep. um, his son Raul Roach signed Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth to their first major label, Electra. No shit. Yeah. I didn't and know that. And then also, Max Roach was Fab Five Freddy's godfather. Whoa, that's weird too. Yeah. I was reading that on Pete Rock's Instagram, and I was like, "Man, that's fucking awesome!" Yeah, that's so crazy. Like how that world works like that. It's like, oh yeah, Max Roach is my fucking grandpa. Yeah. What? No, Godfather, not grandpa. Oh yeah, Godfather. That's even fucking tighter, really. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, with the news out of the way, let's get into what we're going to be talking about here for our episode, which would be. We're going to go over bands with only one album. And you want, and most people want more or are like, you know, why the fuck didn't they put out more music and we'll tell you why. Yeah, or one album and you never even heard it and yep. people are like, why the fuck did they even put this out in the first place? Um, <laughs> it could go either yeah, way, I guess. it could go either way. But uh, the first one that I have is... Operation Ivy's Energy, which was released in 1989 and was widely considered one of the most important records in the ska genre. Uh, Tim Armstrong, who was in Rancid, would be... And Matt Freeman. Oh, and Matt Freeman, too. Sorry. Uh, who else was in the band? I can't um, remember the other the dude's other, name off the top of my head. It's the other half of... Um... Oh my god, I'm gonna brain fart. Well, any, okay, it's kind of like a punk rock supergroup almost. Yeah, before they were famous, so it's cool. Yeah, before they were able to be considered a supergroup, right? But the album was—we were talking about this before. How it was just kind of a compilation of like seven-inch singles and demos and stuff that they had, and we were torn between whether or not it would actually make the list if it met the correct criteria but considering since it is such a good album i figured why leave it off because i mean everybody that loves the yeah. album was really looking forward to another record and anybody like you ask including myself if like there was some random lost op ivy fucking record somewhere it would it'd fucking sell so good. Everybody would be all over that shit. But yeah, for sure. I mean, because people still buy it, today. right? I mean, like, like throughout my fucking growing up, everybody always wanted the fucking copy of it. I was listening to it this morning again because I haven't heard it in quite a while. But I've listened to it so much that like I could just press play in my head and it just goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I remember getting suspended from school in seventh grade for writing bombshell on my folder. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was, it was in history class and I was just doodling and I used to just like write band names yeah, on yeah. my folder and like try to practice cool fonts and stuff like that. And I wrote bombshell cause of the song bombshell off the album. Right. And I wasn't even, it wasn't like a, this place is a bombshell or like, I hope the school blows up or anything like that. 
I literally just wrote Bombshell, and there happened to be a bomb threat at the school oh, like a shit. few weeks prior or something. And I wasn't making that connection. But, yeah, the teacher saw it, sent me to the office, and they suspended me for the rest of the day. And I was like, what the? It's just a fucking word. It's not like I was running around screaming bombshell or something. Like, but whatever. Yeah, dude. That's, uh, that's fucking brutal, man. I remember, and speaking of that song, um, when Death Threat covered it and kind of gave it a heavier fucking jolt, we used to jam that quite a lot too. But then it makes you want to go back and listen to Op Ivy's. Kind of shows the um, yeah the reach they have, you know. Like I seen a band, uh, St. Thomas Boys Academy in Detroit. That was a ska band. Okay, uh, they covered Bombshell, and I can't really remember what maybe Sound System or something like that. And uh, it was at a little bar called the Rockery in Windup. Okay. And it was it was so much fun. Like they had a the guy that was playing trumpets nailed it. I have videos of it somewhere. Uh, but it, it was really cool to see them covering that, and they did a fucking killer job of it too. That's dope. Like they met the same energy that's on the album, which yeah, if anybody impossible. familiar with it is. I mean, it's very very energetic. Like from start to finish, it's fucking in your face and go. Uh, but anyway, what do you got after that? Um, I'm just gonna keep bouncing back and forth off you. I'm gonna. I'm sure we're gonna have some duplicates. Yeah, like because um, I did read my list out to you yesterday, uh-huh. but I've added and changed some things since then, and I'm right. sure you have also. Yeah, I had um, Op Ivy on here at one time, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go with Band of Gypsies, which is uh, Jimi Hendrix's band after. Um, Jimi Hendrix experience. I just wanted to use a more, I suppose, familiar one for my first one. See, that's something I didn't even have. It didn't even occur it to me. Didn't even cross your mind. Not even slightly. So, um, and I, I love Jimmy. No, but I like, know you do. That's, <laughs> it just didn't fucking click. And uh, damn. Anyway, so he had it was with Billy Cox. I don't even have it in front of me or anything. I'm just doing this off my top of my head. And for those of you who don't know who Billy Cox was, it was his army buddy that uh, Jimmy met and did whatever, you know, they fucking hung out in the army, played in a band together in the army. Jimmy got out, got famous, and then he always promised fucking he'd play with Billy. And they got this band together, and then, you know, he choked on his own barf and died. So, and I'd just love to hear more of it. I mean, it's just that. that It's a live show, I think, Yeah. on one on one album. Band of Gypsies. It's unfortunate that there's a handful of uh, artists and groups on here that the reason that they didn't put out another album was because a lot of them died. And a lot of it was drug overdose, Uh too. I just, uh, another thing I like to mention, I guess, for anybody out there that hasn't listened to it, but has listened to the Jimi Hendrix experience, I think uh, Band of Gypsies is definitely more of like a folky, blue, like traditional blues type of band more so than like the psychedelia shit you know what i mean yeah it was less uh yeah trickle less talk box yeah yeah Yeah. so but yeah definitely five out of five album right there and wish there was more uh after that i have sex pistols never mind the bollocks that's on mine as well i figured it would be uh released originally in 1977 i believe it was october 28th i want to say 
Yeah, it was I'm, around Halloween, I remember. Yeah, I'm doing that off the top of my head. Originally, Sid was not in the band at the time of them starting to record and write the album. It was still the original lineup. Uh, Sid only plays actually on, I think it's either one or two songs. I know he plays on Anarchy in the UK, and I think on one other song. I think he play, doesn't he play on Submission? Yeah, that might be the one. Because that's I only I only that popped in my mind because I know that that song wasn't on the first run of records from okay. the UK. Gotcha. That's the only reason. It's like a vinyl nerd thing. Uh, Steve Jones filled in for pretty much the whole album. Yeah, playing um, bass. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Matlock had left the group prior to the album coming out, but he was listed as a co-writer on a few of the songs. And I was reading, I didn't know, I, I guess I probably did, but probably forgot. It's like that saying that I forget more than you'll ever know right. type of thing. Definitely. Um, but never mind the bollocks, the title was considered offensive and most stores in the UK at the time would not carry it because it was deemed offensive and because of God Save the Queen and anarchy in the UK was kind of like a slight against the country so they wouldn't put it in their stores. And then also like record labels would not show the cover because of it saying that on it. They would list the album but wouldn't show the actual album cover. So everybody just thought it was the Sex Pistols, the Sex Pistols for a long time. Pretty much. Um, but now at this point, like according to Rolling Stones lists, it's up there in one of the most important albums of all time. Isn't that funny? Like right next to Sgt. Pepper's. I'm pretty sure it's right underneath it, actually. Which well, I have fucking it's funny how that copies works. of it. I mean, I love it. I, I, when I heard fucking the Sex Pistols when I was like 12, 13 years old, yeah, it was, that's badass. It's great. But you got to think like 77, that was like they didn't hear much shit like oh, that in yeah. the UK. Fuck, dude. And Three Dog Night or the Sex Pistols. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, like think of the damn. difference in sound yeah. there and the difference in the writing content. <laughs> shit. But it's funny how, like, time makes that work because, like, back then it was like, ah, stores wouldn't carry this because it was offensive or whatever. And now it's like every single record store across the country pretty much on standard carries Sex Pistols. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like one of the essentials. It's like you have Beatles in your store. You got fucking Metallica. You have, like, Iggy Pop and fucking Sex Pistols. And like and the shit, first like, Ramones. Yeah, Ramones. Like, there's those list of record essentials that... But it's just funny to me how it works like that with time. Oh, definitely. It's fucking insane. I figured that would be one on it's your like, list, though. Yeah, everything Had comes around. Yep, it is. What um, do you got next? Jeff Buckley's Grace. That's not on mine. Because I knew it would be on yours. Yeah, that, my old lady made me put that one on there, and uh, she didn't have to make me. I guess I I uh, I like Jeff Buckley, but um, I actually don't care for the album. No, I've tried. I like the um, actually. That's the only album he technically you know he put out. That's why this list is all about. But there's a compilation album with yeah. a bunch of demo shit that I actually is I do enjoy more. Like didn't I wish, he have a posthumous record too at some point? Or was, was that like, the compilation? Yeah, it was okay. like half done shit. But um, yeah, he uh, 
his dad was um, Tim Buckley, who, who was a uh, also a famous junkie singer. Jeff Buckley was not a junkie. Um, he died in 1997 from swimming in the Mississippi River. It fucking sucked him in and done. And that's a pretty shitty way to go. Like the current sucked him under? Yeah. Yeah. That would be a real shitty way to go because you wouldn't die right away. No. Like you'd have to suffocate out with water. And he was just. He'd like know you're dying the whole time. Uh huh. And it's like he he didn't get to see the some of his efforts. You know what I mean? Like that Hallelujah cover. Yeah. Originally by Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. Yep. Now that's a song I don't fucking need to hear ever again because it's been played out at my house anyway. But like. No, nobody sounded like that guy at the time. It's the same thing. I mean, he had like a really high. He could go super high with his vocals. Really, you know, kind of like his dad, but his dad's was obviously more gravelly or more shitty sounding. Really, yeah, there was more grit to it, definitely. But I, um, his vocal style is really like what kind of deters me from the album to I, begin I, with. I agree. I like, mean, I can see. I don't agree with that. I yeah. mean, I can see. Well, that is the point, yeah. Musically, like, it's great. I've listened to it front to back mm-hmm. just to, I mean, if, whether or not I appreciate something, like, I try to give it its fair shot oh, yeah, for yeah, at yeah. least the sake of arguing why I don't like it. Because I feel like if you're talking about something and saying that you don't like it, like... You got to have a reason. You got to have a reason and a ground to stand on to give your, like, actual it'd be like a scientist giving a fucking uh conclusion without doing any of the work leading up to right he's like yeah i just had this hypothesis and then i jumped right to the conclusion i didn't do any research and collected data we're all gonna die tomorrow how i don't know (laughs) yeah right that seems to be another artist that um a lot of people that i know anyway mostly women are you know they love him yeah and you know, yeah, he's a good-looking dude. He's got a I get pretty re- boy voice, you know. Yep. But and he had that like greaser kind of yeah, crybaby style definitely. look to him. Yep. So yeah, I could see the appeal there. Well, I get asked for his record all the time. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I try to keep it in as often as possible, but literally every time we have it, it's it's, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, after that, I have Lauren Hill's "The Miseducation of Lauren Hill." I also had that one on my list, but you, which that one I kind of tossed with. I was like, eh, she did release a couple albums with the Fugees, but it wasn't as Lauren. I mean, she was Lauren Hill in the group, but it wasn't a solo effort, right? So. Yeah, and we made that a uh, rule, like, yeah, if it's a solo effort, then it's good. But I mean, this album's one more best of awards for like compared to any other female rapper that I know of. I don't know about currently because there are a lot of records being broken with like Megan the stallion and Cardi B and all them, but I don't think it's the same. Uh, but she did win. She was nominated for 10 Grammys with the album won five of them. Uh, there's 20 million copies sold worldwide, Nothing. which I believe is the highest-selling female rapper album of all time. It was the best-selling neo-soul album. I was going to say, did that come out, what is it, 98? Yep, 98. So, okay, I was eight years old, nine years old. 
That album was fucking huge, dude. MTV would not stop playing those fucking videos. Yeah. It was big. And it, I mean, rightfully so. It is a great album Fuck because yeah, she is. kind of bridged that gap of rapping and singing, uh, which I guess Queen Latifah kind of did also a little here and there, but not on the same way that Lauren Hill did. Yeah, Lauren could take it farther than she did. And uh, that's kind of like an album that doesn't sound like any other. No, because it's got the like the neo soul aspect to it, and then the the hip hop aspect to it. I'm gonna go with the Germs. They only put out one album. That's one I didn't have either. In 1979, GI. So the well, go ahead. Was it called GI or was that abbreviation for something? That's what it was called. Okay. Darby Crash was the singer of that band, and um. He ended up uh, ODing on purpose. <laughs> I mean, I know you're laughing, but this guy uh, is very fucking intelligent, like um, high-level intelligence, and believed in um, communism. Fucking weird, right? But the music, fucking amazing. It's like the... That's like the main band to come out of fucking Holly, L.A., Hollywood... Before, like, your Black Flag, Circle Jerks. Yeah, before the California before the, punk scene was really a big right, punk scene. they yeah. were, like, the band. And uh, the album was produced by Joan Jett, and it's just black with a big blue circle on it. I was talking the other day, this is related to Joan Go Jett. Um, do you think, so, like, Joan Jett kind of, crowns herself the queen of rock and roll or queen of punk rock or whatever yeah i wouldn't yeah so joan jett or wendy o williams wendy o williams okay thank you i was <laughs> i was like talking I to love somebody fucking about joan jett yeah i do too but i'm just saying like i watched wendy o williams chainsaw a fucking guitar in half uh-huh joan jett didn't do that shit right like she was a backed by huge fucking labels early on in her career and was like i know she ran her own label down the road with black yeah you're talking about when the runaways yeah wendy o williams had to me more of the punk rock attitude than what joan jett did and i'm not trying to take away anything from joan jett i'm just trying to bring light to wendy o right because i feel like she doesn't get the credit that she deserves in that aspect i don't she think was Darby doing the does same either. shit at the same time or even a little bit before maybe i don't know the exact years but yeah i was talking with uh steve about this the other day yeah. and he like disagreed at first but then when i made the rest of that point like, I use the example of, uh, like, Wendy O. Williams did basically whatever the fuck she wanted, her whole career put out whatever uh-huh. she wanted under any name, any album cover, any whatever. Um, an example that I used was that Motorhead song, Daddy Don't Kiss yeah, Me, yeah, yeah. was pitched to Lita Ford and Joan Jett, and their managers wouldn't let either of them do the song. I remember this story now. So to me, like, if you're letting your label head tell you what you can and can't do, yeah. that takes away from the punk rock aspect to it. No, that's, yeah. And when Wendy O that's would bullshit. just be like, I'll put it out, I don't, yeah, give, I don't a give a fuck. fuck. Not that she did do it, because I don't think she was approached with giving the song, but to but, me, that yeah. kind of discredited her a little the bit. Fact, yeah, the fact that... Somebody else told you you couldn't do something musically or artistically. 
Uh, yeah, you're not in control of your shit. That was my point. Yep. And, well, uh, you know, she's a great artist. Both of them are. But I yeah, just she's wanted... doing movies with Michael J. Fox in the 80s. Yeah. I get it. Wendy O was she's fucking a... probably living in a trailer somewhere at the time. I think, too, Joan Jett, especially now, she's a poster child for the fucking trans community. She's a poster child for fucking women. She's because of the replacements, rags. by I mean, the way. Right, because of the replacements, exactly, in her cover of Androgynous. So, anyway. Actually, yeah. we should say because of the New York Dolls, actually. Well, that's true, too. And then forward to the replacements and then and yeah so um, i just wanted to bring up the germs though and i also think darby, no, that was a good one darby crash is is not known as much as i think he should be he's um they did do a biop movie about him called what we do is secret pretty cool the germs is a band that i've always been well aware of but have never really dug into like i've heard that album before uh -huh. but i don't know that I've sat and listened to it front to back. Right. No, I mean, and that's like all there is too, really, you know. Right. Also, on a side note, I just want to, one more thing. Pat Smear was in that band, the Germs. Pat Smear later joined Nirvana. And when they started this band, just so to put Pat Smear in perspective, when he started this band with Darby, you didn't know how to play a fucking note. Yeah. And then he ends up playing like, in one of the world's biggest yeah. bands, or what became one of the world's right. biggest bands down the road. Yep, and I've seen him play guitar with Joan Jett, singing Androgynous at some fucking show. It's on YouTube, Yeah, which is ironic that you brought that up. She covers that song all over the place. Well, now for sure. Oh, yeah, now especially. Um, but, uh, that, yeah, that's it. That's really all I got. Speaking of New York Dolls, though, that leads me to my next group, which okay. would be Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. Uh, the album would be LAMF, which means like a motherfucker, uh -huh. uh, which was taken from uh, gang graffiti in New York. Like they would put that under their graffiti and stuff. So Johnny Thunders took it upon himself to make it the album name. That's badass. And um, that was released in 1977. Now, one thing I do want to add is Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers in this rendition of the Heartbreakers was around slightly before Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. Like a year before or so something they get like the that. Name. So to me, they get the name. I agree. Um, and but, I love fucking Johnny Thunders. Yeah. But the album was kind of like how the Op Ivy thing happened where it was just a collection of different recordings because they had such a hard time getting the band to in a studio setting together together and to capture the sound of how good they sounded live like the energy and stuff mm -hmm. they couldn't find it to put it on a recording the same way in a studio setting that they could in a live setting so there was like hundreds of different versions of each of the songs that only handfuls of them made it to the actual album because they could capture the sound that they wanted to capture. Yeah. I have a few Johnny Thunders albums, and there's always, like, Mick and Heartbreakers, right? I have this one. And there's a couple other ones where they just have different, like you said, different versions of that song from, like, some random. It's just, yep. it's interesting. It's they, from some random show, and it may sound good, and it may sound like complete ass. Yep. And that was kind of their MO. Uh -huh. And 
Johnny Thunders was a terrible, terrible junkie. So, like, to the point where there's songs written about how yep. bad of a junkie he was. But that album, I mean, I love that album. Like, that's like, it's punk rock, but it's also rock and roll at the same time. Oh, no. Like, it's, it's got. That's my, like, the Stooges era, Johnny yeah. Thunders, Dolls, that, what what do they call it? Proto punk, if you will. Proto punk. I fucking yeah. hate that term, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, that sounds so fucking badass. Cause it's not, it's not all you know. It's like def, you know, defiled and it's fucked like with Eddie and, Cochran meets the Stooges. Yeah, dude, definitely. That's a good analogy. Love I just came the, up I with that on my own. I right, go ahead with your next. Okay, now I'm gonna get into some bands that like I wouldn't. Well, I got one more that's people might know. Heaven and Hell, the Devil You Know came out in 2009, and that's base. It's the lineup from Black Sabbath from Mob Rules. So uh, take Ozzy out of Black Sabbath, put Ronnie in, and there you go. And it's it's fucking a good record, man. It's heavy. It is a really good record. Um, and it was recorded very well, too. Yeah, it's fucking produced awesome. It pounds on my system. Um, I mean, they lyrically, had the it's budget good. and then some at right, that point right. to do it. And I'm not... For sure, because I didn't, uh, didn't really. I kind of just threw this on the list last minute, but um, it's one of Ronnie's last albums for sure. Yeah, it's pretty clear if, if it's not the last thing he put out. What year did Ronnie pass? Wasn't it like 2010? Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's so, yeah, what I mean. I'm been... not sure if it is, but it's close. It's yeah, right, right towards the end. And he sound and unlike you know Ozzy on that patient nine or whatever he sounds fucking amazing on this one i was talking about this the other day also how dio's a much better singer than ozzy oh fuck yeah like if you're talking in turn like yeah. ozzy made it work but if you like stripped down the vocals in those recordings and took the music out of them and you did the same thing with dio ozzy would sound not right because the music complements his voice to where it creates the whole sound and makes it work right. well. But Dio on his own, like, the man could sing like he's, like, 10 feet tall yeah, and he's like a fucking midget. he's like an fucking style singer. So, uh, yeah, the band formed. And, you know, I said no super groups, but it's kind of is a super group. Um, kind of, sort of. But at the same time, it's... Sort of like they just changed the name of Black Sabbath, so they were avoiding sharing right. Bitch and Adam for exactly. using the Black Sabbath name. There is all, there's a couple of live albums out, but The Devil You Know is the only um, original studio record by them. Jeff Nichols, the keyboardist and guitar player, he died recently. I'm just looking at, like, most of the people that played on this record... Passed away. It, honestly, like half of them, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, but yeah, anyway, fucking, the shit's awesome if you're into, uh, if you're into Dio, it's awesome. If you're into Black Sabbath, it's awesome. Uh, if you like heavy shit and the bot, I'm just, for whatever reason, the bottom end on this record is fucking solid. I love it. Like, you can feel the fucking chugs and shit. It's tight. Um, I have a 1972 release from, so there was two bands that were named Jerusalem. There was okay. a Christian hard rock band from Sweden, and then there was a Brit band. Um, or wait, wait, wait. They might have been Canadian. 
I don't remember exactly. But the one that I'm talking about is not the Christian hard rock band. Uh, the album is just called Jerusalem. Okay. It was never, there's no album name. It's just a self-titled album. But Ian Gillen of Deep Purple produced it. And it's straight oh. up like 70s hard rock. But I've asked so many fucking people here if they have ever listened to that band and not a single person like I asked like like older guys that yeah, would yeah. know about that shit that were big into Deep Purple and everything had like, no idea had absolutely no idea so I don't know if it just didn't at the time get pushed heavily or if people were just too caught up on Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and whatever to like take the blinders off and look outside right. or they mistaked it for the Christian band or how that worked. But this record's awesome. Like I've listened to it a hundred times. Yeah. It's I've listened great. to it. And I, and, and it's real heavy for the time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Man, that's, that is interesting though. Like that was it though. They I never, if it was a push thing and because of the name that it never popped off. Yeah, I don't right. know the case, but it like, I've asked, countless people like heavy hitter record collectors right, right. that had absolutely no idea yeah it's weird i so just found it on a random article one day and checked it out and was like oh cool this yeah. band looks fucking they're in, they were produced by ian so i'm gonna check it out right right and i love it it's a great album yeah there's always something that stands out that leads you into that weird shit like that where you're like where's this been yeah so it's cool to find that shit what do you got next? You said you're going to get into bands that people wouldn't really know of. Yeah, yeah. most likely. Um, I got a few also going down. One, okay, my first one is a band called Ragmen. They have one album out. It was put out in 2003. Now, a bunch. Uh, the rest of them will be around this era because that was when I was what, like, probably 2018? So it was, like, all this shit, like, you know, had a quite an impact on me, and it's like, oh, I want more of this shit. Yeah. It's a New York hardcore band, but they... I'm just getting the logistics here. And uh, it had members from fucking Scarhead, Madball, Earth Crisis, Hatebreed, and Marauder. So... It was, like, a hardcore supergroup, Sort of. Yeah, I guess it would be. Um... I don't I'm pausing and umming, but basically if you took Marauder and Madball, put it in a blender, you get this and it's fucking it's tight. And they have a really silly love song called Visions of You. So I'm gonna probably put that on the playlist because it's like the funniest, like tough guy love song you have ever I mean it's just it's silly almost. <laughs> and you can just see this guy in your head like I don't know, all chest pumping, like yelling at this fucking chick, you know, like, I love you, bitch. You know, it's fucking. I it's still fun. listen to Master Killer all the time. Oh, right Marauder. on. Right on. I so, love that record. Yeah, and it's a, you know, it's New York hardcore with a metallic sound, is what it is. Like I said, they could have put, they could have done countless albums, I would imagine, but with all these guys yeah, in other since bands. Yeah, they were all in other bands, their right. schedules probably conflict, and it was hard to get everybody on the same page at yep. the same time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, after that, I have... Are, are you all oh, good? Oh, I'm there? good. Okay. Just making sure I'm not cutting you off. You're not. Um, Control Denied 
Fragile Art of Existence was released in 1999. Control Denied was the side project of Chuck from Death. Uh, he wanted to release more melodic metal and wasn't able to do it under the band name Death, so he formed Control Denied. And he does do guitars and backing vocals in this. He's not the main vocalist. But it definitely, guitar-wise, in the tone, you can hear Death like just scattered throughout all of it. Yeah, this is one that I have not listened to, so I'm interested. He, um... They did have a second album, like, in the works, but then Chuck passed away in 2001. So and it was, that. I think they only recorded, like, three or four songs. I don't know if they've ever been released because I haven't heard them anywhere. Uh, I do have the record if you ever want to check it out, and you can, like, stream it anywhere, basically. Oh, definitely. I'm going to check this out. It's awesome, though. I like it, like, a lot. Oh, it's yeah. It's a fucking great record. We're big Death fans, by the way. Both of us. For anybody who is a Death fan and isn't familiar with this, you, if you don't like it vocally, you will like it musically for right. sure. That's 11. Okay. I haven't even been counting. I'm I, just going until I I'm don't counting. have any more. I got like four more or okay. something. I'm counting just for the um, playlist. Gotcha. Uh, my, so uh, this will be the 12th one. Prayer sure. for Cleansing. Name of the album is The Rain and Endless Fall came out in 99 to me there'd be no metalcore without that record i mean that's basically the blueprint for what you would call metalcore yeah um, i could agree with that it's you know it's got like metallic leads and then it just chugs and has like beat down chugs all the way through it and then the writing's like intellectual and not it's not cheesy, you know, it's not like, oh, I hate my life, my mom's a bitch, blah, blah, blah. This is like, more like, it's not, you need to take, not gutter mouth. Right, it's like, you need to take a look around or look inside yourself and blah, you know, like, figure some shit out. But he's like, got the the best demon sounding vocals. I just, I, I can't say enough about that band. And Yeah, they're they, a great band. They did put out a 7-inch with a Cranberries cover song on it called The Tragedy, and there was a song on there about one of their friends that committed suicide, and that's what the song is about, The Tragedy, but that cover of the Cranberry song, Salvation, is fucking amazing. Um, that's an interesting cover for a metalcore band to well, do. Yeah, right. Because the Cranberries are such a different band compared to that sound. It's the... Um, but it worked. It's I the mean, lyrics it's, yeah. that they... The, um, they snatched up on that, I think, for their buddy there. Funny thing about this particular album has not been repressed. I'd, I'd take it on any format if I could get it, but I believe the last time I looked it was like a $500 album and nobody was selling shit. Yeah, because they probably only did a like real, real low quantity yeah. of them and the people that have them are like, fuck you, I ain't uh, getting rid of this. Or they were distributed to friends and family and whatever. But, yeah. I mean, I've always had burnt copies of this. And yeah. band's been around forever. Uh, after that, I have Thorns, which was a Norwegian black metal band that formed in 1989. And they did not release their self-titled album, Thorns, until 2001. So, And there's some story behind that that I'm going to get into. 
originally they were under the band name Stigma Diabolicum and then changed to Thorns in 91. Uh, but the band consisted of Faust from Emperor and then there was a guy named... Uh, That's badass. I can't remember his, like, he's got a Swedish name or whatever, so I don't know his first name or how to say it properly. So <clears throat> but his name's Ruck. He was known as Blackthorn. He was the second guitarist for Mayhem. Yeah. He was in the band. Um, and then they... He had just joined Mayhem right around the time of them recording this stuff, but then he went to prison for eight years as an accomplice to Euronymous's murder. Right. That's that's what I was going to ask is, like, is that why I didn't want to? Yeah. That's why, that's I, said, why, well, that's why I said we'll save it. Yeah, there's but a yeah, gap. That's why there's such a gap that is because sense. he was in prison, which there was an interview with Varg that said, like, he didn't really have anything to do with it. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. But they... Uh, came back out after he got out of prison, uh, which was like 1999 or so, somewhere around there. Because I think I don't think he did the full eight years. He got out a little early. A little good behavior. Yeah. They released a compilation called Thorns vs. Emperor, which was just a 7-inch or a 10-inch. I can't remember. I think I have it. But it was Thorns covering Emperor songs and, Emperor and the Emperor covering yeah, Thorns songs. And then... In 2001, they finally released the actual album, uh, which had Hellhammer on drums, and then the vocalist for Satyricon was the vocalist for the band. So you got all kinds of mayhem people. There's all kinds of, in and yeah, out of there's there. all kinds of like mayhem and emperor and yeah, early on. That's dope. But Satyricon or the singer from Satyricon was in that band, but they only released one album and then obviously there was more controversy that followed. So they weren't able to carry on and then Satyricon basically like picked up where they left off. But they kind of crafted the sound of how like 2000s black metal was really starting to shift oh, towards yeah. like more from the away from the lo-fi craziness sound to more of a kind of melodic sound but also still had all the roots of black metal tied into it yeah with better production yeah, right right yeah that's um that's it's it's a great album and but it's a really cool story like behind it because there's right. so many because when you look at it at 2001, you're like, man, so they were they were in the mid-2000s. They just didn't make it work. But then when you look at the actual history of the band and you're like, wow, these were like, they were around when all those yeah. other bands were just starting out and starting to make music and shit. And they just happened to get, somebody happened to have to fucking go to the joint for a little while for someone's death. And there you go. Yep. Um. All right, my next one is a band called The Promise. I believe I've mentioned them before, probably. They only put out one record. Uh, Straight Edge Band, 2002. I think that was... Yeah, we did talk about them on one of the episodes. Uh -huh. And um, Briefly. I saw them live. They're fucking right on point. Sounds just like the recording. You know, and this is your typical, like, angry Straight Edge guy. Not talking about beating you up, but basically telling you you're an asshole for smoking cigarettes or drinking or whatever it is. Yeah. But the songs were is more about betting, bettering yourself in general than beating down a bunch of fucking straight-edge values. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like 
your body's a temple, dumbass, you know, kind of. Yeah, don't um, put a bunch of shit into your body. Right. Yeah. And uh, they just recently repressed it, which is how I got a vinyl copy of it. They only did 200 of them, and it's already, like, retarded expensive. I don't I don't know why. I don't know where all these fans came from, but... But you got to think there's probably more than 200 fans. I would hope. Like, even if they only have a couple thousand, like, if you got that amount of people trying to find that record and they only did 200 of them, then it's going to continuously drive up the market value because there's only so many to be had. So when it sits on, they came out on Indecision Records, which is a pretty popular hardcore label. I will put on a song called The Kiss Off on the um, Facebook playlist, or I'll have it on my Instagram. Uh, I, I suggest anybody check it out. It puts me in a good mood. It's like you play it in the morning and you're like, yeah, fuck everybody, man. I'm better than all these motherfuckers, you know, and then... <laughs> I like to play Motown in the mornings. All right. Yeah? Well, not every morning. There's some mornings I'm listening to 200 Stab Wounds or something. It, it all but depends like, how I it wake up. It like Sunday mornings. I'm like, I want to hear Motown shit. I don't know why. It just, it puts me in a good mood. I don't, I don't, it's always random for me. It is random, but it seems like Sunday mornings is where I kind of try yeah. to lean to. At least I start off that way. Then yeah, I'm, I then I might go to obituary or something like. Yeah, you want to start. It's off all in over a chill. the place, but like if I'm up cleaning the house, doing whatever, like I got a Motown playlist going or some Motown records spinning or whatever. I don't know. I love Motown shit. Yeah, uh, Motown's is the shit. Yeah. After that, I have uh, Repulsion. The album Horrified, which came out in 1989. Um, Repulsion is a band from Flint, Michigan, who I don't want to say single-handedly crafted grindcore, but they definitely had a big, big influence on it. Uh, They started off basically just covering like Slayer and Metallica and thrash stuff. And then they got a guy from, I believe it was the drummer, from the band Dissonance, uh, which was out of Flint also. And they kind of like merged the thrash and punk sound together and then started to craft what later became grindcore. Chuck from Death wanted the singer and guitar player to join Death at the time, like in the late 80s. But they went down there to go kind of come to an agreement on the band or whatever, but I guess couldn't make an agreement on the direction of music that they wanted to go to. Like Death, Chuck with Death wanted to go a certain way, and yeah, Repulsion yeah, yeah. wanted to go to more on the lines of like early Carcass than okay. how early Death is. And so they went back, went their separate ways. And then they got a new drummer when they went back from that because originally the drummer had split off, I'm I would guess out of jealousy because, like, you have death in the late 80s wasn't what they are now. But I'm guessing they were like, he's like, oh, fuck you guys. You're going off to join a different band or whatever. But if you were in the metal scene in the late 80s, you would have known death. You would have known, right. right. You would definitely, in that guy's position, you would have been intimidated. Yeah. So when they came back from that, they got this guy named Dave Grave. And his nickname was Grave because he was arrested for grave robbing. Uh, then he was their new drummer, and then eventually they released the album called Horrified. Uh, Carcass was actually the band that put out their first album. Like 
they without Carcass, they probably wouldn't have got really any airplay or anything like that. Like Carcass was like, dude, these guys are fucking awesome. We're they, gonna, so we're Carcass gonna, was pushing them. Yeah, they were like, we're gonna put out a compilation of your album called Repulsion, uh, and then they started to get some touring and go along with that. But they never put out another record after that, as far as I know. I don't know what their reasoning for breaking up was or whatever, but it's good of fucking kick-ass record, but it's definitely along the lines of, like, Symphonies of Sickness and stuff like that. Yeah, like it's more, that's my favorite it's carcass dirty, shit. It's fucking real guttural, growly vocals and real crazy, fast, thrashy guitars. Well, my last one is a um, local Michigan band as well. Spanned has played here at least once if not twice and i've seen them i went to their hometown to see them once it's the band name is it's all gone to hell the album name is war journal it was put out on vendetta records which the singer for illmatic that's his he owns it vendetta yep okay and um the band consisted of is basically a detroit Hardcore supergroup, if you will. It had people from fucking Walls of Jericho, what, Coalition. It's kind of what Hate Inc. was. Right. Earth, Earth Mover, Universal Stomp, and then Face Down from Windsor. Oh, I never... Now that you said Earth Mover, I'm wondering, did did Poison Tongues put out more than one album? Not sure. You can keep going. I'm just but um, satisfying my own curiosity gotcha. here. Yeah, they did. Okay. They're fucking, they, it's hard, tough guy, Detroit hardcore, like, it has that Walls of Jericho sound, obviously, Aaron Ruby's in the band at this point, who is the, who was the bass player, might, no, he still is in Walls of Jericho, yeah, fuck, I don't know what else to say about it, it's fucking, <laughs> it's just tough as fuck, and uh, I'll put a song on there called Jack's Broken Heart, which was also on their self-released demo, paper sleeve diy old school the fucking thing was written on you know that's and, cool and then that song Those make really good collectibles oh, I like know. down the road like the like the alliance one that i fucking posted yeah the, it, that's it's just like that the great lakes hardcore thing yep. i have a, a old michigan hardcore patch still oh, with that's the dope. prayer hands and i have a 130 oh. i have a 138 one too from the one that's the one that dan fucking did yep yeah that's funny. I got a really old 138 one also from the cover band for here. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nick Hartman. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of funny too. But, um, yeah, so that song that I'll put on the playlist made it. It's called Jack's Broken Heart. It made it from the demo to the album. It's a cool song about, um, you know, overcoming shit, really. So that's uh, that's all I have. That's all you have? Yep. Okay. I still have like a few. I'm just going to touch base on this one really quick. Okay. Uh, Mad Season Above, which came out in 95, uh, was Lane Staley's side project, uh, which never came to a second album again because the bass player overdosed and then not long after Lane overdosed as well. Yeah. But I have a 10 inch of that band. It's kind of. A slower Alice in Chains, sort of. Yeah. Like, Lane's voice can't really differ too much, so it definitely has that Alice in Chains feel to it. It's almost like Jar of Flies 
if you took that whole record and just called it a different band like yeah. it's got that feel to it i i actually like personally i like the sound of mad season more than alice and chains but and i know that's fucking weird but it's, it's just, a great it's a great album i i just I'm, i i couldn't go i couldn't not put it on here um, another one was Nail Bomb, Point Blank, which was formed by Max Cavalera of Sepultura and Alex, I can't remember his last name, but he's from the band Fudge Tunnel, um, which is a terrible band name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I never really got into them. They're okay. They were kind of along the lines of like ministry. With oh, that, Fudge like, Tunnel? Yeah, heavy, yeah, I have a cassette of that you? band, okay. yeah. I didn't know if you were familiar with them, yep. but yeah, they were like heavy industrial yeah. sort of sound, like real distortion heavy kind of vocals set in the back or a little bit, uh, or at least early on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they became later on down the road, but I know I'm familiar with their first record and that's how it sounded. What's the, uh, what was the name of that band again? Fudge Tunnel. Oh, the band I'm talking about? Yeah. Nail Bomb. Nail Bomb, okay. Has a picture of like a, a lady with a gun to her head, or uh, somebody else is holding the gun to her head, but it's lovely. Got a yeah. Um, it was a very political based album. Um, where is oh Minor Threat Out of Step is one that I wanted to add to that was kind of along the same lines of the Operation Ivy, the Heartbreakers things, where it was a compilation of already released demos that kind of got mashed together as a full album but they only put out that record before ian went on to form fugazi i'll uh i can add some things to that minor threat album if you ordered it it came from um discord their label they packaged it and they paid for the shipping and they still do to this day if you order that That's... and there's a lot of i want to say there's at least 12 presses if not more now yeah yeah, there's quite a few out different, there. Yeah. And that might have a different color on the cover or whatever. I've seen some that have black writing, some that have blue writing, yeah. some that have uh, like borders on it. There, I've seen quite a few different variations of it. Uh, my copy has blue, and it. I think it's like a third or fourth. It's nothing major. Yeah, my, I have a CD copy, which I believe is a bootleg. Awesome. Um, but that's blue. Uh, the last one that I have... Uh, was Lady of Rage, Necessary Roughness. For those of you who are not familiar with Lady of Rage, she was Death Row Records' woman. Um, like, I don't know if there was any other females on the label at the time, but when The Chronic came out in 1992, her album was supposed to come out at the same time, but Death Row shelved it until 97. And if I had to guess, it would be because... Dr. Dre didn't want her to outshine him because is fucking lyrically, like, the record's phenomenal. But she's collaborated with, like, Snoop Dogg. She's done stuff with Dr. Dre. She's done stuff with uh, Tupac. She's done... But she only has this one album. She only has one album because she quit rapping after this and became an actress. She was Baby D in Next Friday. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. I'm going to have to get into that, too. Oh, it's so good. It's like if Tupac was a chick, yeah. it's like that. Like it's real, it's poetical, but it's tough. No, but I'm it's like check that out. It's it's a great album. But I I don't know the actual reason of why it was shelved. I just to me, like it seemed like 
well, shit. They don't want her to outshine the chronic. Yeah, so. and if you remember the story, though, which is the story goes that they didn't make any money. Off, well, Dre didn't make any money off the chronic. I guess I don't know if Death Row did. I would assume they did. They would have had. Maybe to. not right away. But I know. Right. But, but, I mean, that's that's another one of those best-selling records of all time. But, so. yeah, either way, though, you're right. I could see that. But, yeah, Lady of Rage got oh. kind of outshined. Cause, like, think of the roster of Death Row at the time, like how hard it would be to, even if you weren't a female, which Man. presents its own set of challenges on its own in the time. Yeah. Like, it would have been hard to be coming into that label as a male in a predominantly male-dominated game and outshine any of those guys. But not so even For her outshining. to stand, like, toe-to-toe with them, that's really impressive to me. I think that it's bullshit that they didn't put her shit out. When it came out? Or not even when it came out. I get not putting it out with the Chronic. Because yeah, I wouldn't even put want it my album to come out on the day the motherfucking Chronic came out. no. <laughs> so let's say, they put it, right, let's say they put it out in the following fucking January. That's what I'm saying. But five years later, yeah. like, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, like, I would want to I would wanna quit rapping, too, at that point. So... Yeah, that's definitely something I don't want to fucking look into. That's crazy. Why? Yeah, I don't understand why you would shelve it that fucking long. I don't know because it was it was fully finished. And then so. what? It got released in ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven. So Pac's already fucking gone. The label's going under, and they get re- release it then. Yep. Because to me, like, you had some of the hardest hitting artists in the rap game at the time in that period yep. of time, like in nineteen ninety to ninety. Six, let's say, for Death Row, was one of the most, if not the most, dominant label in hip hop at the time. I mean, the only other oh, person, yeah, the dude. only other company rivaling that would have been Def Jam. And I think, and at the time, they were not; they didn't have Tupac or Dr. Dre so, Death or Row, Snoop Dogg. Death Row was like the biggest thing at the time. I was yeah. just wearing a Death Row long sleeve shirt the other day. But to me, like. She's a representation of your record label. So why shelf her and not give her the credit she deserves and then also not let it reflect your label and the talent that you have on your label and then only to release it down the road when you're like, oh, yeah, we are we got a lot of shit going on. The label's kind of going under. Let, let's throw that bitch out now. Yeah, like, they I finally put it out. They could have put her up. Like, she would have... If they would have put it out on time or at a reasonable time, she could have been fucking huge, probably. Yeah, she could have been Because she would have already had that, well, I'm on death row, so automatic sales. It's like a status symbol yeah. to, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's when they start, people started wearing chains, like, real big, with the death row chains, remember that shit? Yep. And then No Limit came, and then, yep. holy fuck, man, yeah. But yeah, that's all I've got for one artist, or one album artist's. I know there's quite a few more out there, but yeah, we tried to just sometimes keep it like, yeah, I mean, we could go for two more hours uh-huh. on this shit, but and then sometimes there's like, okay, this is the only one that's popular, but then like 20 years down the road, they had another record, so uh-huh. you got to take things off, and um, yeah, this episode kind of presented its own set of challenges as far as research goes, yeah. which was fun because I liked kind of being able to be like. Oh shit, that's right. They did do another album. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. oh shit, this person only did do one album. Well, that's like I was saying before we started, I had the band Some Girls on my list. 
Yeah. And then I look, and they they did put another one out, and I'm like, holy fuck, I gotta get that shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we're, you know, I'm glad we uh, did it too. But anyway, I have nothing left for you guys. Um, if you have anything uh, else you want to add to Jeremy, no, just that uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. We will post a playlist. I will post a playlist with all of these bands and at least one song from each of them that uh, you guys can check out. And then, like we did say in the beginning of this episode, definitely check out next week's episode where we'll be interviewing Billy and Joe from Illmatic and also premiering one of the unreleased songs off the album. Super pumped for that. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I've never really talked to Joe, but I've known Billy for quite a while, and he's fucking great to talk to. It's so awesome. it, It's going to be a fun interview for sure. I know Joe has been in Alpina in different bands at least a handful of times. So I would imagine he remembers. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. I mean, <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you for listening, uh, and we will see you guys next week. Peace out.